Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is Labor Day, September 7th, 2015. This is episode 138. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, with Scott Magnus. Now, if you're listening to our voices right now, you're most likely doing so at our website, which is Bird's Eye View Baltimore. Com. It's also possible that you found us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, and we encourage you to check out all the great shows on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, including Baltimore Sports Today, BSR's daily podcast. Um, it's also possible that you found us on third-party platforms such as Miro, Double Twist, Stitcher, and iTunes. If you have, please make sure you stop the recording right now, run over there, Give us a rating. Give us a review. It really helps us reach new ears, and uh, we'd appreciate the, the honest feedback if you'd be so kind. You can also check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, where we're at facebook.com slash B-E-V-Cast, but we're most active on Twitter, where we tweet at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. It's now time for the most important part of the show, the part that keeps us all grounded. So, Scott, I ask you the most important question, what is your drink of the week. Jake, I am not drinking tonight. I had plenty to drink this weekend on this lovely three-day weekend. I don't need to saturate my body full of any more alcohol at this time. So you are uh, you are drinking up the, uh, the recovery. I'm drinking up the aspect of the holiday that we are partaking in on this third day of this weekend. I myself am drinking a, wink, a winking beverage. Ah, yes. But there's a story behind this winking beverage. I see a sticker attached this to it. It's a very special... National Bohemian. The Bohemian has a sticker on it that says, this is a can, be my man. Now, I know what you're thinking, Scott. This is not just the latest of my trysts with other men. Jake, this sounds a little um, forward, even coming from you. Um, Jake, this, the answer's no. <laughs> this is a beer that I received. You actually received the, the same uh, can. This was the announcement. So we're going to Utah, or it's going to be a polygamous relationship here? <laughs> This is a the, the announcement that we received from a uh, dear friend of ours. Oh, what if uh, they have bad baseball in Utah as well? <laughs> a friend of ours, Jason, asked us to be in his wedding, and that's how he did it, with a natty bow with a hand-drawn sticker on it. Jason, well done, sir. I'm drinking your beer, and I appreciate it. Now, we are also on Untapped. You can check out what we're drinking uh, all week. Uh, I'm at JakeE4025. Posting stuff like, I'm drinking Michelob Ultra. Don't make me defend that here on the podcast. That is, you know, Dave Stevenson gave me a hard enough time. Look, it's good for what it is, which is crappy beer, and I will give you that. Michelob Ultra, though, really? Yes. You realize they were going to discontinue that product. That's fine. And then some random person bought it at Wine World in Abingdon, and they're like, nope, I guess we're going to have to restock it again. Look, I will not defend myself. <laughs> I can't. Jake, E4025, if you want to hear what I'm drinking. 
I'm at MAGN8606. With that, let's dive into the medical wing. This week in the medical wing, um, J.J. Hardy is supposed to be coming back this week. Do you really care? I mean, is it that big of a deal? My question is, do you think it really happened? I think it happens. I think it happens because why wouldn't it happen? Honestly, yeah, there's no reason for J.J. Hardy to be back. Yeah, but do we really want to keep on seeing Paul Yanish and Ryan Flaherty out there at third base? Is there any reason to do anything else? If if a meaningless September, meaningless games in September means yeah. take a look at what you have. Yeah. You and I talked about to the Manny Machado uh, shortstop experiment, not seeing J.J. Hardy return and getting him as close to healthy as we can for spring training next year with, you know, 20 games less wear and tear on him. Might be worth seeing what Manny Machado has as a regular shortstop. Let me come back and ask you this question. Adam Jones came out of today's game with a shoulder little fluke thing that happened. Um, I guess my question, Jake, is if that's the case and these games are meaningless, should Adam Jones sit for a few games coming up and maybe you move Horada Parra or even Dario Alvarez out to center field and just see how well they do? Should he sit out a couple of games? Probably. Will he? No, because he's stubborn. Just like his manager, so. <laughs> That's right. Well, look, we've also got uh, Miguel Gonzalez, who's out on the 15-day L, uh, 15-day DL. He was retroactive back to the 31st of August. Well, you definitely want to see him again, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we want to see all the Orioles pitchers right now because they're doing so, so well. Watching them puts me on the DL. Uh, and lastly, we had Matt Wieters, who's day-to-day with a wrist. He got that diving into first base. Well, I guess that didn't increase his value going into free agency. Do any of the Orioles uh, free agents other than Chris Davis realize that this is a contract year for them? Uh, I don't think so. I think I saw that tweet earlier today. Um, well, I, I, you know, I, there really is nothing else to be said. I mean, it's just kind of depressing, all things going on. Uh, this whole week was depressing. Let's go through it in 140 characters less. Let's go to this week on the Twitters. Um, first week comes to the Baltimore Orioles and the Deathly Hollows. This comes from Michael Wright. You can follow him at Mike Wright underscore O's. It says, it isn't the Hogwarts Express, but it's the next best thing. Another day of pitching. Hashtag Orioles. Hashtag Harry Potter. All right. You gotta love that. Coming from a person that's daughter's having a Harry Potter birthday party, I put that in there specifically for you. Thanks. I appreciate that. You know, how many Horcruxes do you think the Orioles need to destroy before they get to their next World Series? We don't have the kind of time to count those up. Mm, okay. Well, if only we had Dumbledore on our side. Um, next week goes into the yup category. This comes from Utah Street Report. You can follow them at Utah Street Report. And how do you give up 11 runs and counting in two games against the Rays? It's beyond sad. Yep. 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 That, that is correct. Beyond, beyond sad. Next, I think... We're going to need something a little more than this. This is a tweet uh, that I believe you grabbed off the scrap pile here from yep. Dan Zimborski, who, of course, tweets at D Zimborski. Uh, spell that at your own leisure. At this point, it, right, it reads, you would need some scientifically impossible 250-proof alcohol to erase memories of this last O's month. If there's anything scientifically impossible, it's the aspect of how bad the Orioles have been in this past month, both pitching and offense. So, Dan, we're going to work on that and create that 250-proof alcohol for you. You know, it's as if the Orioles have fallen asleep at the wheel here, but there's hope that they might yet be woken up, much like someone else who was woken up this week. Here's a tweet from John Taylor, who tweets at J.A. Taylor. Uh, that's T-A-Y-L. 
E-R. And it his says, parents hate him. It says, shout out to the dude getting woken up by Chris Davis's monster walk-off Homer. And there's a, uh, a link to the vine. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. It was pretty funny, but kind of sad at the same time. But it, that encapsulates this, this part of the season perfectly. You're, you're right. It, it does encapsulate all, oh, there's still baseball going on. Well, that's nice to see. <laughs> but, you know, Chris Davis, of course, has been a mountain of controversy uh, due to, you know, his pending free agency. So we here at Bird's Eye View are going to ask the question, to be or not to be? Jake, there's only really one question going through people's minds right now. Chris Davis, is he, should he, will he be back for 2016? Folks, 2015's over. We're pretty much wrapping up shop in terms of this season besides just kind of watching for a few highlight plays here or there that we can talk about. But in reality, it's time to start prepping for 2016. So, Jake, let's get this off this topic going. Let's talk objectively about the type of player that Chris Davis is and the amount of money that he might command. So the general sentiment around most of the fan base when we talked about this on Twitter is most folks think he's going to get somewhere in the ballpark of 20 to $25 million per season, and they think that he's going to get it for at least five to six years. However, there was an interesting article today on Baltimore Sports and Life from Dan Zembrowski, and you know how much I love Dan. I do. He posted an interesting interview, um, and he mentioned that he thought that Chris Davis should get around four years, 60 to $70 million, similar money to what Nelson Cruz got this offseason. Now, me personally, I think that's a very low-ball offer, but there's something that I think we need to give consideration to. Number one, Chris Davis is going to be uh, uh, given a qualifying offer, which means that he is going to cost a draft pick. So that may pull down some of his value, but I still don't think it's quite going to get down to as low as what Dan Zabrowski mentioned, which was four for 60. I think that's probably the right number that Chris should get, but I don't think it's the number he's going to get on the market. If the Orioles were to offer him a four for 60 or four for 70, I'd be perfectly fine taking it. However, we know someone's going to overspend. We know someone's going to give him that 20 to $25 million. So I guess the question is, Jake, are you okay with making that ridiculous offer to Chris Davis. Well, let's let's just stop there for a second sure. because I, I think that you're so right in the fact that someone will grossly overpay. But let's talk about the factors that went in sure. to Nelson Cruz, who has exceeded my expectations this season. I think he would have exceeded anybody's expectations. He's having a career year at age 35. He he got the 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 contract that he did mm-hmm. four years, fifty seven million. Is that right? That is correct. For for the following reasons. He got that because he was one of the hottest bats on the market when he came through because of yep. the 2014 that he had. And it was a weak free agency class. And he also had serious concerns behind him. Yes. In the fact that despite all accounts to the contrary in 2014, he had had a substance issue. Yep. He had had a PED suspension. Yep. He did not have age on his side. Yep. And he was 
moving into a, a situation where 2014 could have been considered his career year. Absolutely. The 2014 was almost a career year for him. It's just that he has surpassed that once again and blown through any expectation and normalcy, which is the mid-30s now for Major League Baseball players. Let me take that over to Chris Davis. Sure. Chris Davis is younger. He, he is, is a younger player. But Chris Davis has had PED issues. Mm-hmm. Chris Davis has probably had his career year. Mm. And Chris Davis has a tendency to fall off the map offensively for periods of the season. Sure. Now, as Oriole fans, we we are are kind of we've got blinders. We either see all of the bad Orioles fans blinders or all of the good. Yeah. And I don't think it's possible for for us as a fan base to really give an accurate description of whether Chris Davis really falls into this mold of kind of risky investment or a god who should be paid all of the money. So do we want to try to break out the reasons for and against and stuff like that? And just going to do like, we're going to do like a middle school thing where we do pros and cons and see which one weighs up best. Let's do this. Okay. So pros, um, Jake, I'm going to let you take this one. Look, I'm. I, this is really in my wheelhouse, but I, I think the first pro is the feels. Of course, it's the feels. It's that grit and everything. I, I don't even think it's that. I, I think that, you know, Chris Davis is a fan favorite. Okay. He, there has been a ton of promotions regarding Chris Davis. I mean, you look at, you know, the T-shirt nights that he's had, the superhero action figures. There has been a ton of Chris Davis fan love. Chris Davis is not hard to look at. And so that helps with a certain aspect of the of the the population of of fans. The other thing, yes, he is good looking. The other thing is that he is is well liked by his teammates, and the Orioles have recently had some fallout by getting rid of of oh. popular players. So I will say that from a a certain feels aspect, re-signing him, regardless of baseball acumen, would would do two things. First, it would placate the fan base by bringing back a fan favorite. Two, it would do that stupid make a statement thing. Yeah. And three, if he's a popular guy in the clubhouse, it would keep that. I guess the question I would have, Jake, is we remember what it was like last season in 2014 and Chris Davis not being in that clubhouse. And a lot of his teammates, um, I guess, felt let, left down to a certain regard for him getting the suspension specifically at the time he did. It was pretty much the worst time ever that he could have got the suspension because it basically eliminated him from the playoffs um, by doing so. Um, so, yes, he's had a breakout season this year. And, well, again, we'll guess when breakout season, but he's had a resurgence season compared to last year. But do we really think he's a clubhouse favorite? Do we really think he's a clubhouse leader? I don't know. I don't see a lot of players interact with him directly like they have in the past. I just... He, he's definitely playful, but is he that leader like Nick Marcakis was or anything like that? I can't say he is. I think that's a great question. I think it's a great question. I, I don't think that there is I, – I can't say whether or not his teammates are still disappointed with what happened with yeah. his suspension because you're right. That is a real issue. But if you look at like even the stupid things like the Masson videos where he and Adam Jones are doing you know joint interviews and stuff like that, you know, it's clear that amongst the core of the team – you know, that, that he's really on the inside. You're, you're absolutely right. I've seen interviews like that where Adam Jones is sitting right next to like Travis Snyder and giving an interview. And, you know, it's that kind of camaraderie and chemistry 
that really helps to build up the Orioles who, who are who they are. All right. The second <laughs> pro that I've got is that uh, good or bad, Chris Davis is a known quantity. You know what you're going to get from from Chris Davis, and that is this. You're going to get a ton of strikeouts. Yep. You are going to get those ton of strikeouts, but Chris Davis is also going to mash the ball incredibly. Mm. He has power that is unreal. He has easy power to all fields, and he's probably going to be the premier bat in free agency when it comes to power in this offseason. He's got it all. He can hit the ball to left field, he can hit the ball to right field, he can hit the ball straight on, and he can hit it a long way. Chris Davis, when he is right, can carry a team. And we have seen in 2013, and we've seen in stretches of 2015, that he can be right and he can carry a team. So that's that's the pro, the known quantity. Yes, you're going to have some downs, you're going to have some valleys, but the peaks that Chris Davis has are are almost limitless. Yeah, but you have to also look at the cons, Drake. And as much as he's a known quantity, you've got to take the good with the bad. And yes, he does hit for power, but he hits with so much power to the one side that the shift has basically destroyed him. In 2012, you know, he was a very similar, you know, pool hitter. And then the shift came about and people started to realize, oh, you know, if we position people over here, we can take away some of these hits that, you know, Chris Davis and David Ortiz are having. And Davis certainly has somewhat adapted to that, but he hasn't adapted to it fully by being able to spray the ball across the field. Um, You mentioned the aspects with the strikeouts. Jake, Chris Davis is going to have over 200 strikeouts this season. 200. And that's as your number four hitter. Look, when you're in the heart of the order, it's really tough to put someone in there that has that many strikeouts. There's been constant instances this season where you've had, you know, people on second and third and Chris Davis just needs to hit a fly ball and he can't. And it's infuriating because just like he's got so much power that if he just flicks it, it's going to be enough. But he cannot, you know, he, he can't shorten his stroke to a certain regard and hit certain pitches. And the book is out on him. Um, as he continues to get older, that swing is going to get even more sloppy. And I want to come back to last season with the oblique injury. As he continues to age, there's going to be a greater propensity for injuries to occur. And when those injuries occur, we could have a recurrence of what we saw in 2014, where Chris Davis has gone from a three-war to four-war player all the way down to a replacement-level player because of his injuries. It literally is... You know, it's like we've called him the spirit animal. He's a bull. He's either, you know, killing it or he's got nothing. And it concerns me giving that kind of money, probably $100 million, to a player that could easily falter. Coming back to the money argument that we just talked about, you look at the contracts that have been given to first basemen going into their 30s. Mark Teixeira, Albert Pujols, Ryan Howard. First basemen getting multi-year deals. I'm talking four or five years in their 30s, generally haven't worked out well. Even McNapoli is a minor example, but generally haven't worked out well. You look at players that have worked out okay in, in a similar like Chris Davis style, and I'm thinking like Adam Lynn and like a Paul Canerco and stuff like that, and they've done all right, but they've been on a shorter-term basis. Look, if I'm going to go and give Chris Davis a contract, it's only going to be for three or four years, but 
I don't think that's going to be the thing that's going to allow that's going to happen in the marketplace. I think he's going to get that big contract because someone's going to be willing to do it. I just don't know if the Orioles should be doing it at this and, time. And remember who represents him. Yep. Right. And, and I, I think that your your points are valid because the thing about his his being on and being off is that it's like a switch. Yeah. He can be on one week and then the next day happens and he's off. It's and it looks really off. It looks ugly. It's like what the heck? Like you're not even a decent player at this point. He's either locked in or he is lost. And the other thing to keep in mind is that you know I talked about those peaks and valleys as being huge. Mm. If you're going to lump all of that money into a player, you know, perhaps it does make better sense for a team to pay less money for a player that has peaks that are not as high, but valleys that are not as low. Right. You know, perhaps having a consistent level at some at some point that's not as good as what Chris Davis can provide when he's on his best is the better value for a team that's trying to compete. I, I don't know these things. I'm just saying it's the type of thing that as a GM in this league, you're going to have to consider the Orioles and the 29 other teams. Jake, if you remember, there was one thing I, we brought up on the previous podcast, which was the Tome conundrum, which is the yes. 15% thing. Interesting enough, in 2002, the Indians were tasked with another difficult decision. So you had Jim Tomey, who was with the Indians since 1991, was with the Indians all the way up to 2002 and absolutely raked the ball. I don't think we need to go through this, but let's just go through 2002's numbers. Weighted runs created plus Jake, 189. The season before that, 167. Tomey had hit 49 home runs in 2001, 52 home runs in 2002. But the Indians basically said, you know what? We can't take that risk. We're going to let him go. So he went off and signed with the Phillies, and in doing so, he killed it the next season with the Phillies. 47 home runs, 2004, 42 home runs, 2005, 7. So yes, it's similar in terms of like the Nelson Cruz situation, whereas the next season, it could be an amazing season, and that's the thing that's going to kill Orioles fans. But unfortunately, you cannot just play year by year by year. This isn't fantasy football where you're just playing, making a new team every single year. This is a business, and you're investing in it for multiple years. It's a capital investment. And in the case of first baseman contracts, it generally doesn't work out very well in order to put a capital investment such as that because eventually they have a tendency to break down. Um, I'm not saying that happens with every player, but it's a major risk for a low for a small market team. And the Orioles are a small market team. For those that are folks that are listening to us, the Orioles are a bottom 10 revenue team, according to Major League Baseball. They are the 11th smallest market in Major League Baseball, according to the collective bargaining agreement. Now, you can include the mass of money, and that might bring them into, you know, 15th in Major League Baseball. But based off of their net worth, they should be right around 120 to $135 million per year. The Orioles this year were right around $118 million. Now, that's because the mass and contract is currently being disputed and everything like that. But it's not like the Orioles are pocketing a large sum of money. However, they may be getting ready for this year and basically making the determination of, do we need to start spending money on players like Manny Machado, who's going to be coming up for a massive arbitration increase and also a massive contract in three years? Can I make a confession about this Chris Davis thing? Sure. I'm not sure that I can be objective. And that's something that I think that you and I try to try to do. And we do a pretty good job of not getting trapped into our BS fan yeah. boxes. But I'm having a really hard time with Chris Davis. And this is why I like Chris Davis. I'm a fan of Chris Davis. Chris Davis seems like a nice guy. Chris Davis is a guy that I root for. 
And if, if I look at all of the other free agents that the Orioles have, yeah, I try to imagine all of them in another uniform producing against the Orioles. And Chris Davis is the one that makes me cringe the most. I would Chris, Chris Davis you. is the one that's going to hurt the most when he goes off somewhere else and does well. You know, Wei and Chen, I've basically made my Meh. peace with the fact that he's going to be gone. I, I would miss Darren O'Day, but I think the Orioles are going to get a deal done with him. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to miss uh, Chris. Or, Matt uh, Wieters. Yeah, we're going to miss Matt Wieters, but that's not going to hurt so bad. I'll miss Steve Pierce, but again, I think a deal gets done there. It's Chris Davis. Yeah. Chris Davis is going to be the one that hurts. It's but, that excitement level. It's the aspect of even when he's doing poorly, you know, sitting in the ballpark, when he hits the ball, it's just a different atmosphere in that stadium it's simple as chicks dig the long ball and we love the long ball this chick does dig the long ball but i ask you this scott yes does chris davis want to sign here we mentioned that he's a boris client and so that money will be probably the most important thing but i want to take you back to some quotes from an interview in the baltimore sun from this march now again this march does come directly off the reeling uh, realization that Nick Marcakis was not going to be in the, the, the clubhouse. So there is that. But I'm just going to read you a couple of, of quotes here. These are from Davis. He says, Some things are going to have to change as far as contracts are concerned because we have a lot of young guys that are going to have a chance to sign before free agency. And I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going to play for a team that has no shot of competing every year. The next contract I sign, I would like to be my last one, and I have no desire to play for a loser every year. Do you think, having read that, that the Orioles have made the progress, have made the commitment to winning that it would take to sign a player like Davis? Do you think that Davis looks at what he sees as what happened in 2015 and looking at the uncertainty of the offseason and can say with any confidence that this is a place he's going to want to be for another five years? That sounds like lip service to me personally. I think it's just going to come down to whoever pays the most amount of money Chris Davis can go to within reason. So, for example, if the Cindy Who Padres offer him a load of money, I'm not sure if Chris Davis is going to say, yeah, I'm immediately going to take that. But if it's a difference between, you know, you know, three or four million dollars, that's probably the only difference it's going to make. If it's a $10 million difference, uh, we're going to be in similar Mark to share territory here where it's like, well, he'll take less because he wants the hometown discount. Well, no, that's ridiculous. He wants the most amount of money. Scott Boris wants the most amount of money. That's what it's going to come down to. If the Orioles offer him the biggest contract, he's going to play for the Baltimore Orioles. That's not going to happen. But if that does happen, then he's going to play for the Baltimore Orioles. Well, here's the other quote. It says, I've made it very clear over the last few years how much I love playing in Baltimore. It's a great park, great park to hit in. And with the success that we've had pretty much since I've been here, it would be a really hard place to leave. But you have to understand it is a business. They're going to have certain priorities, certain things to, they're going to go after. And you have to understand the business side of it. Yeah, exactly. It's the business side of it, and he's going to move on depending on how much money they're offering him. Gut, it's the Tommy conundrum. Yeah, gut check time, Scott. Look, I don't think he's back. You? I say no. I think it's he's not coming back. As much as Orioles fans are going to gripe and complain about it, and I know it's going to happen next year where he's going to have another great season. Orioles fans are going to point right back and say, we've got another Nelson Cruz and Nick Marcakis situation. This is why our pitching is giving up 10 runs a game, because we didn't sign back Chris it, Davis. Exactly. The bigger issue, too, is... You look at the uh, 2016 first base free agents, and there really is nothing out there. Chris Davis leads the charge out of anybody in there. The next best person in terms of free agency is probably, 
Oh, I don't know. Uh, it's you've got Mike Napoli, Corey Hart, Kelly Johnston, and Steve Pierce is basically it. So you've got a plethora of nothing there in terms of first base, which raises the question of if you're looking for a first baseman, if not Davis, then who? Then who? So going through the internal options, Jake, you've wrote, written down a few names. You've written down Christian Walker, who is probably your best first base prospect at this time. I know people are talking about Trey Mancini, who's currently raking in double-A buoy. But Christian Walker also raked in double-A buoy. He really needs to come up to triple-A Norfolk to see what happens. Christian Walker would be an intriguing option, but certainly would never replace what Chris Davis is currently delivering at this time. All right, let's let's punt for a moment on what happens in the post-Chris Davis world. Sure. Whatever the Orioles do get, do you think the Orioles will bring up Christian Walker to be on the 25-man roster if they have a first baseman? Uh, if they already have a first baseman or if they need a first baseman. If they already have one. If they already have one, no. Okay. I do not think so. All right, what else do we have in the system currently? Uh, in the system currently, you've got Jimmy Paredes in here. Nope, I'm scratch- scratching that one off. He's burnt his glove at this point. You have Ryan Flaherty, who they were trying before to get turn him into a first baseman. I guess that's a possibility as a, you know, a, a bystander and stuff like that, but I just don't see Ryan Flaherty being a permanent fixture at first base. But, Jake, you missed one that is an obvious one. You forgot Chicken Parm, <laughs> who's still currently within the organization. Um, No. No. I say no to you, sir. I, I'm just saying you've got a left-handed hitter there in Chris Parmalee who maybe went through some growing pains this year and will come back and just absolutely dominate. He, he will dominate for four games. Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Against the Phillies. Um, All right, so b- but I'm also going to point out that you've got a left-hander there, and then you could potentially re-sign Steve Pierce, and you could do another thing that Orioles fans hate to hear. You could go platoon, where you could do Steve Clevenger as your left-hander, Steve Pierce as your right-hander, and do a platoon situation at first base. All right, you've you've stuck me in an awkward position. Yes, I do love me some Steve Pierce, and I think that Steve Pierce. I would like to see get an opportunity to be a you know platoon lion's share of the time kind of guy, but Steve Pierce has not proven that he can be healthy for an entire year. Yep. He he has proven that he's a major league player. He's proven that he's probably best suited when he's in a platoon situation and can be incredibly valuable. But I don't want to have to depend on that. And I will just warn you, Baltimore Orioles, if you do platoon Chicken Parm and Steve Pierce, you better spend some money elsewhere. <laughs> you had better spend some money elsewhere. But, Scott, you, you know, I, I wrote down those names, and, yeah, Jimmy Prades was a throwaway. But I, I wrote down uh, three names okay, uh, of some external options. And these are not free agents because, as you mentioned, the free agent market is incredibly thin. Yes. But looking at the constraints of the organization, when I say that, I mean – if you're going to go out and trade for somebody, you have to understand that our ability to trade is very limited right now because the minor league system is is the cupboard is bare. Yes. And the major league roster is also bare to the point where you don't want to trade too much. I'm going to say, you know, we've talked about the possibility of, of Zach Britton being traded away. You know, we do have some trade chips, but we can't go crazy. And what that means is that we can't really go and, pl- uh, and pluck the, n- the starting first baseman from another team. Right. So what I did is I, I looked at backup first baseman mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, DH, outfield, first base people. And I have three names here, and I really want to get your reaction to these three folks. Okay. Uh, I'm going uh, to start with Scott Van Slyke. Of the okay. Dodgers. He'll, he'll be 29 this year. Yep. He's uh, still in, in his arbitration years. Yes, he is. Um, he's, he's affordable. 
What do you know about him, and is he a good fit? Uh, I do know that he's seen a significant uptake in uh, batted ball velocity this year, which is a very interesting thing for a person that would move to uh, Canyon Yards. Uh, Jake, can I just say, if I were to put a name to him, which Orioles fans would resonate, Travis Snyder. Okay. So he is a Travis Snyder who plays first base. Yes. Now, a terrible Travis Snyder or the question mark Travis Snyder that came in? Uh, a Travis Snyder that would have his baseball cap backwards. He's wearing a hoodie and he's in front of a grill barbecuing. Okay. Okay. So he's too bland waiting to happen is what you're telling me. Yes, I, that is exactly right. right. I'm not saying bad choice, but bad choice, Jake. Okay. Let me move on. Uh, Lonnie Chisenhall of the Indians, 26. Got some some team control within him. I, I like Lonnie Chisenhall a lot. I just don't see the Indians giving up on Lonnie Chisenhall at this time unless it's for a very good prospect, which, uh, last I checked, the Orioles are lacking. Is, Chis- is Chisenhall a starter in Cleveland? Uh, he's not a starter in Cleveland, but I still think the Indians are going to want to keep him just for a he's dirt cheap. Okay. All right. Uh, here, I think, is probably the best match that I saw, and I want to get your opinion on that, and that is C.J. Cron of the Angels, 29, again, in his arbitration year. Not as much time left on him, uh, but I'm curious as to what you have to say about him. Cron is interesting. Um, my biggest concern from from Cron's standpoint is I don't know how much more of an upgrade he is long-term compared to a Christian Walker, and I'd be really interesting to see Christian Walker come up. Look, you look at certain ratings that are out there for Christian Walker, and yes, he's not a great prospect, but he's rated, rated around a major league starter prospect at a 45. He's got some decent power. The only issue is he's short. He's six foot. Um, he also, whenever I've seen him, hasn't had a great defensive first base. CJ Cron could be an option, I think, if the Orioles don't go out and re-sign Steve Pierce, but... I wouldn't be going off the reservation and go out and get CJ Cron very quickly. So this is why I like this guy. And and again, you know, this is just me talking here. Uh, In his two major league seasons, uh, the first was 2014, where he he played 79 games in the majors. The second here in 2015, where he played 88 games in the majors. His weighted runs creative plus was 113 and 109. So he's just a little bit better than your average when it comes to to uh, to offensive production. And his Wobo uh, weighs that out as well. In 2014, it was 324. Here it's 321, and, and you, that's you about ha- league average. You have to be careful here, though, and this is why I would warn you about that, is when you start looking at weighted runs created plus over the league average, that's fine. But in the case of first baseman, it shifts upwards. So weighted runs created plus for, let's go through a few of the top players that are first baseman, like, You've got Joey Votto, 178, Paul Goldschmidt, 161, Rizzo, 150, Cabrera, 179, Brandon Belt is 134, Davis is 140, Encarnacion is 142, Eric Hosmer is 130, and you would never think Eric Hosmer has that high of a weight of runs created plus. Jose Abreu, Mark Teixeira, Duda, Adam Lynn, Albert Pujols, um, all have weight of runs created plus of higher. The next person that's close would be Carlos Santana, of the Indians at 109, which rates at the 15th best first baseman. So yes, Jake, you're right. He's an above average first baseman. This comes back to why Ryan Flaherty really can't stick it at first base, because even though they may be an average first baseman, you need someone that has much better offense. Because again, if you look at a war adjustment, the defensive adjustment for war um, based on first baseman is extremely low. So you really need a thumper at first base and Unfortunately, it comes back to Chris Davis is that kind of thumper 
And, you know, I don't know where the Orioles are going to find the production necessary. I hear you. You're right. I want to say that again. You are right. However, the Orioles are not going to spend on Chris Davis. And they're not going to spend on a thumper at first base. And so I hope that if they don't do either of those two things, they at least go and get themselves a bat that is of major league average regardless of position, rather than what I consider maybe a hole like chicken parm. Yeah. Or what is an unknown and maybe a hole like Christian Walker's first year in the major leagues. It is a conundrum, but but you're right. It's it's not a perfect fit. Can I throw another one out? Please do. Okay. You, I kind of agree with you that prospects are, mid, uh, are very short in the Orioles organization and really can't go out and get a starter to a certain regard. But there's one starter that has been was shopped earlier this year, not – very actively, but definitely the name was put out there. And that was Adam Lind. And Adam Lind is a left-handed power hitter who, you know, definitely hasn't had the home run production like a Chris Davis. But let me run through some interesting numbers. 11.7% walk percentage, 16.0% K percentage, on-base percentage this year of 370, and a WOBA of 364, good for a 127 average, uh, 127 uh, weighted runs created plus. Jake, the only problem with Adam Lind is left-hander, he does terrible against left-handed pitchers. So you would need to have a platoon option to go against left-handed hitters. Why couldn't you do Adam Lind, Steve Pierce? You could easily make up a 120 or 130 weighted runs created plus by playing that. And it'd be a very cheap option. Adam Lind next year is only going to make, I think it's $9 million off the top of my head next year, which would be a very cheap option um, for the Orioles to take up on. Um, it's just a question of, you know, can the Orioles make that move in order to get him? I think Adam Lynn would do great. He's had success before in the American League East with the Toronto Blue Jays. I say you go out and get him. That's personally my opinion. That's a really good name. Uh, it's a really good name for a couple of reasons, Scott. First, because I, I think just as you've indicated. $8 million, by the way, for next season. Just as you've indicated, I think uh, pairing him with Steve Pierce is a great idea. It also allows him to DH a little bit, which is another yep. giant hole in totally this team. Yep. Um, the other thing it does is it does not sell the farm in the fact that if Christian Walker is the real thing, which we don't know, he, yep. may, he may be trash, but if he's the real thing, if Mancini is going to come up and, and be something, we're not tied down to a huge contract and we yep. have the flexibility to, to wait and see. I, I think that's a great move. The question is, again, are the Orioles willing to go and do it and – do they have, they have the enough. bullets in the gun to go and get him? Correct. And with that, let's see how well we did in terms of our other predictions on Fantasy Boss. When it comes to twisting, I just gotta keep insisting. Oh, baby, you should do swing. When it comes to twisting, I just gotta keep insisting. Oh, daddy, you are the king. Baby, you got me beat up and down, inside out and across. But in the middle of the night, when the moon is shining bright, Oh, yeah. I'm the boss again this week, Jake. I would like to lodge a complaint. Uh, okay. You took advantage of me, Scott Magnus. I did. You took advantage of me. Last week. Yes, I took care of your misery, and I'm like, I'm going to use this to my advantage and basically 
have Jake throw numbers out the window and just show how illogical he is in his decision-making. You baited me. I did. I was in a delicate emotional state, and you took advantage of me. I, I did. Well done. Yeah, thank you. So the fantasy ball segment last week was over and under on the Orioles scoring 10 and a half runs. And as, as anemic as the offense has been, and as poor as the Orioles have been, they did manage to squeak across a good amount of runs well over the 10 and a half that I uh, selected. Well, when you score 10 in one game, it kind of pushes you over. Well, but still, we were able to do it in like two games last week. So, well, yeah, so I win. You, you do indeed. Yeah. And hey, this might be the most exciting contest we see throughout the end of this baseball right, so season. So if people are going to watch baseball, it should be specifically for Fantasy Boss this week. Um, so Jake, I'm going to bait you again, okay? Oh, geez. So I'm going to give you another over and under. Jake, over or under on Orioles starters having one and a half quality starts? Jake, just as an information over the past 30 days, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Orioles have gone 6-14, and 5.64 ERA, and have given up 1.75 home runs per nine innings. Not to mention, over the past nine starts, no Orioles starter has gone more than five innings. Is it nine or is it 11? Or is it nine of 11 or something like it that? It might be like nine of 11, but still, <sighs> pretty bad. But one and a half. So, Jake, you know, you're going to have to pick. You have five games remaining, basically, this week. You've got the two against New York, and you've got three against Kansas City. What are you going with? One and a half. <laughs> it's just a quality start, Jake. It's six innings and three runs or less. This is so unfair. <laughs> You're horrible. All right, because geez, because I failed last week, I'm going to go with the over and say they can't possibly stay on the stretch that they are, despite the fact that me saying over mounting evidence probably make it happen so i'm going to go with the over and say at least two will take place okay so you're thinking that there's gonna be at least two quality starts out of the five games all right against new york against new york and, and kansas, kansas city. city yeah sure okay great so uh next week everyone's gonna be 10 to 10 to 1 <laughs> and uh we'll be back and uh let's run through the not so lovely totals for the rest of the week in the good the bad and the ugly That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, I guess I'll start this week, and I'm going with a favorite to Baltimore Orioles fans. My good for this week is going to go to Jason Garcia, who had a 13.5 K per nine in four innings pitch this week. Honestly, he's pitched above average since coming back from the DL. 3.09 ERA, 2.20 FIP. Uh, 7.71 K per nine to 2.31 walks per nine. Look, I'm not saying it's a lights out performance by him, but overall, I've been mildly impressed. Yeah. Mildly. Mildly. And he's not being avoided anymore. Right. Well, there's no need to at this point because of how bad we're playing. At this point, he's going to be an arm that's going to be in this organization. 
All right, Jake, what was your good for the week? My good for this week, because there's so little to cheer about, I'm just going to say that seeing Steve Johnson back in the majors is a nice thing. Look, a good local boy, son of a former Oriole, a guy that that we've rooted for to do well, and, and a guy that, you know, there was some conversation about whether he should be the starter in the wildcard game in 2012 instead of Joe Saunders. It's nice to see good things happen for good people. I'm not sure that Steve Johnson is going to be a major league pitcher, but in meaningless games in September, it'll be nice to see him pitch. He had some control issues this week, though. Okay. just gonna I, point. Didn't, I didn't say he pitched well. I said it was nice to see him. All right. Uh, my bad for the week is going to go to Adam Jones, a 60 weighted runs created plus right in the heart of their heart in that order, uh, but also a 34.6 K uh, percentage, which is... Wolf. Uh, pretty bad. Yeah, he's got some pretty poor plate discipline out there. I know there was a report today of saying he's been, you know, na- nursing some nagging injuries, but who really isn't at this time of the season? Um, fans have been griping on Davis for K percentage this entire season, including myself. But Jones has been bad this week, and unfortunately, when your number three hitter is going to K like that, you're going to be in a, a heart of issues. So Adam Jones gets my bad for the week. Totally not going through the motions, by yeah. the way. All right, my bad for this week is Gerardo Parra, who I, I just want to throw this out here. Yeah. He was three for 23. Oh. All right. He had a negative 19 weighted runs created plus. Can we just stop with this whole aspect of people posting on blogs, on Facebook saying we should resign Gerardo Parra because there's no reason in the world based off of his performance with the Orioles, that he should be resigned. There's no reason. He's going to get money because he has... He's, he's he, going he's gonna to get money, but there's no reason the Orioles should be giving him money. Let it not be here. I agree wholeheartedly. Oh. All right, my LB for the week is going to have to go to Chris Tillman in a 15.26 ERA in two starts. In his two starts, he lasted a combined seven and two-thirds of an inning plus. But that's actually not even the worst part of it. The worst part of it is... He's given up 3.52 home runs per nine innings. He's not pitching effectively in the zone, as evidenced by his huge 464 Babbitt. Jake, he's throwing meatballs up there and saying, go ahead and hit them. And they're hitting him. They're hitting him out of the park. They're hitting him in the park. They are absolutely demolishing him. So whatever Chris Tillman is doing, stop it. Stop it now. All right, that is your ugly for the week, and I think it's a good one. Yeah. Because it it talks of the hopelessness of the present. But Scott, my ugly this week is going to be not only the hopelessness of the present, but also the future. Mm. My ugly this week is Kevin Gosman. Kevin Gosman is the arm that we have waited low these many years to see in the major leagues. We have complained when he has been yo-yoed, treated poorly, done wrong. By the organization. And how has he repaid us for our faith? How has he repaid us for our unending love? Well, let me tell you, this week, not so hot. Kevin Gosman in his single start lasted just 2.1 innings, and it was not good. All right? He gave up five earned runs. I'm sorry, he gave up three earned runs, four total in that span, including two home runs. Knocked himself out of the game early and was a, a footnote to that game we need kevin gosman to be good down the stretch we need kevin gosman to be good in the future these innings are meaningless for the team but they are important for kevin gosman particularly because if he's going to be one of the best five pitchers that we have next season we want it to be because he is a good pitcher and not because our rotation is terrible so my ugly for this week kevin gosman just to touch on kevin gosman and not to 
belabor the point. But the one thing that we've been harping on for Kevin Gossman through this whole development cycle has been the slider. And the slider actually has been getting better in terms of movement and also performance. But the one thing that's really concerning for me is that even though the fastball velocity is there, the location of the fastball is... In the uh, seats? Um, it's been very poor, so it's been right down the middle. Um, he's going to need to change to a certain regard of how he's using his pitches. He's become very predictable, at least in my opinion, of when certain pitches are going to come. Um, as much as we like to give this person um, crap, Abel Jimenez is a master in terms of you know pitching backwards and kind of mixing things up. Um, Jimenez could be a, a pretty useful person to give consideration to um, when he's starting to work in his slider and his splitter. Um, because right now, when Kevin Gossman's throwing his fastball, it seems very predictable at this time. So, you know, Kevin Gossman, you're on notice. With that, I think it's time to go ahead and blow the save. And I'm going to blow the save with um, a little bit of a tip of the cap to somebody. Um, we lost a member of the Birdland um, group, I guess is the best way to describe it. He's not gone, you know... He's just gone from the Birdland thing, and that's Casey Willett. Casey Willett's last uh, hurrah with uh, O's Radio was this past week, and I don't think we quite um, give him the appreciation that it is to basically put that all together. I certainly have missed the witty banter and giving it to the beat writers uh, ever since he has left. Um, You know, not being able to hear Mighty Casey when I'm listening to Joe Angel and Fred Manfra is going to be a little tough for me to take in for the time being. And I remember a few years ago, I was just like, who the heck is Mighty Casey? But now that, you know, I follow Casey Willett on Twitter and I can see some of his playful demeanor, I'm going to miss Casey uh, a good bit. So Casey, tip of the cap to you. I hope you enjoy your time off with the family. Uh, I hope you stick around and maybe go on a few road trips in the future. And, um, you know, thanks for everything you did um, over these past few years. Here, here. All right. Well, with that, that's going to end our show for this week. And uh, man, what a great week it was in Orioles baseball. I mean, you just can, great. You can just feel the magic. So, for those uh, ten or fifteen of you who are still listening to this show, um, even though the Orioles are absolutely completely garbage right now. We, again, appreciate you taking the 50 or so minutes to waste your day away uh, listening to us debate. Um, it's like when it's like when the Orioles got torched and Tom Davis thanked people for watching the postgame show. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so uh, this is Tom Davis and this is Rick Dempsey. Um, Baltimore and beyond, I have nothing further to say. I will bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And come on, guys. Let's go O's. Whew, it's getting rough again. It hurts. It hurts. You still here? It's over. Go home. Go.